I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This feels strongly like a therapy session, and I hope you don't charge me. Great, fantastic. Well, you and I have been playing tennis. Yeah, we have, which I really appreciate. Several times, actually. Yeah. So now you've seen the you've seen the soul of the publisher of Racket Magazine, and I've seen the caliber of a six-time Grand Slam champion, and we're a little different on the court. Well, I mean, it's called uh, ten thousand hours. Yeah. Of what I did prior to you doing it. What I like so much about the idea of getting to know somebody's personality and their soul based on the way they play tennis really factors into the conversation we're about to have. We're talking to one of the sort of famously most introspective players on tour, one of the smartest players on tour, a mutual friend of ours, and someone I think we're both delighted to have as guest of the Racket Magazine podcast, Andrea Pekovic. Indeed. Uh, I would say she's the most introspective, most interesting, smartest player that I've ever actually been around as far as not singly tennis-oriented. There's not one player that I, I can honestly say can sit down, other than maybe Vera Zonareva, who is mm-hmm. very similar in some respects, but so well-read, loves filling her brain with the most interesting anecdotes, the most interesting stories, the most interesting people. Um, it's probably one of the reasons why sometimes she it doesn't win matches, because she actually is a little bit too smart for her own good. Gets Her brain gets in the way, but she's... Uh, She's absolutely one of my friends, one of my best friends, and a very good friend of yours as well, and we, and we love her. She actually kind of connects our worlds. You know, I'm a journalist. I publish Racket Magazine. Therefore, you have published now two of her stories in Racket Magazine. Exactly right. Issue number two and our current issue number six. And I'm a decent tennis player. I played in college. Indeed. My orbit would not usually include someone like you, a luminary of the court, six-time Grand Slam champion, a tennis commentator, one of the greatest doubles players of all time. And yet she's somebody who's connected the two of us because she travels in both those circles. Yeah, I, I, I met her a long, obviously a long time ago when I was on tour. We became really close in the last three years just because I retired. So I wasn't so obsessed with myself. I was a little bit more obsessed with having a good time. And along came Petco as far as just somebody who I just found to be so fun to hang out with. And I think she enjoyed my company just because I see things a little bit differently as well. And we have good banter and we have good fun. And And you're incredibly outspoken, which is why I wanted you to do this podcast with me. A little. Yeah, you and I meeting was because of her. And uh, obviously, you know, I find you two to be way smarter than me. So I always say, (laughs) pick your lane. Mine is not to be the most, the smartest person in the room because I'm definitely not. But uh, yeah, that's the, that's the case with the two of you. And I wrote Andrea two years ago to, to write and to be thus far our only tennis player who is a writer who contributes to the magazine because I thought she was smart and she had something to say that would bring people into our world. And now here we are and we're about to talk to Andrea in what I think is a pretty rollickingly good time interview. Uh, yeah, I'd say so. And, and I mean, we only scratched the surface of some of the stories and the fun that we are going to have in the future with our fashion correspondent to this podcast, but uh, she is in uh, France and uh, playing in a challenger, which is sort of going down a rung on the WTA tour to get some matches, but you'll hear all about that from her. And if you love what you hear in this episode, please tune in every week because she, we are making her, will be our fashion correspondent. So enjoy this interview with Andrea. 
Yes, I'm Andrea Petkovic. I'm 30 years old. I'm a tennis player slash writer sometimes, and I'm in the lobby of a hotel called Novotel. Okay, first question. What is your default accent when you're drunk? <laughs> Mine or Petkos Renee's? Petkos is, I'm going to take a guess on this one, and I'm going to say yours is English. Yes, hello. I'm from London. <laughs> that's my, my go-to. That's my go-to British accent when I'm not dr- just like normal when i'm normal i speak like this this is horrible but i really enjoy doing it i'm already cracking myself up which is the most important that's a train wreck accent <laughs> i i think you 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 waffle between uh french uh, spanish and then you eventually end up realizing that english is your default <laughs> drunk accent yeah do you think that's because you secretly want to be british is that is it a yearning i want to be cockney i don't want to be british i just want to be cockney um, I don't know. I just, I, that's like my go-to. I sent my, my cousin had, um, it was my cousin's birthday last week and I sent her, um, a message for her birthday in British accents. So I was like, hello. And she's Serbian. <laughs> so, uh, we had so many languages to speak in and I decided to go like, hello, I'm from London. Happy birthday from London. And I was in France. So this is like the most fun I have when I'm with myself alone in my hotel room. That's that's the most fun you have in your hotel room by yourself. That is, I, I'm not sure if I feel sorry for you at yeah, this no. point. <laughs> yeah. um, Renee, yours is German. Do you really speak drunk German? I've been known to speak a little drunk German at times. Why? Where did you learn German? How did you learn German? Uh, because I probably know a little bit ein bisschen uh, German when I'm... Uh, when I was hanging around Steffi quite a bit, because I'd go to dinners with Steffi and her family, and all they did was talk German, and so I picked up on ein bisschen uh, Deutsch. How's her German, by the way, Andrea? Um, Renee always surprises me because she knows these weird words like Stupsnase, for example, because we Germans have a singular word for a little nose, which is Stupsnase, and Renee knows it, so she always surprises me with those little words, with those little gems. So it's like she's from the streets. Yes, but um, I'm... Really glad that we all know which language is your go-to, Caitlin, which is French. Thank you. Do you care to elaborate on that? Well, first of all, I'm from Montreal, so it's like this great tragedy of my life that I don't speak fluent French, which is why I want to, which is when I get drunk. I I wish I did, and I kind of convince myself that I do. And also, (laughs) I had this really mean French girlfriend, which is where I learned most of my French. Oh, that is not a good story. (laughs) No, no, no. That is not a good story. It kind of begins and ends there. She was just mean in French. And of course, I found this like limitlessly alluring, because that's what you do when someone doesn't like you. Well, that's why I know Petco's little go-to is English, because she seems to find herself these lovely English boys is that true oh i love english boys yeah, yes yeah. cockney they, and i would like when, to preface by saying boys because uh you know they have to be under a certain age like under 30 <laughs> i didn't say under 20 under 30 <laughs> well as long as they are really pale really awkward and really tall it's okay for me so the face of an angel and the body of a 15-year-old. The, but no the body of a very <laughs> emaciated rocker like mick jagger kind of look Wow. Yeah. yeah. With, with the baby face. How would you explain this? Why? why? I really don't know, but it's like my... It's, <laughs> I don't know. She likes to be in control. <laughs> that's not true. I mean, <laughs> that's not true at all. It's just, uh, I don't know. I listened to too much um, indie music when I was young, I guess. And um, especially Caitlin's favorite band, The Smiths. So <sighs> Christ. that has... That has um, scarred me for life you said last week that you have actually found the german version of the smith group of the smith band is that true yes i have it i have drangsal he's amazing he sounds exactly like um the smiths just with german lyrics which is pretty awesome i wanted to send it to caitlin but for some reason she didn't want to hear about it i don't know why (laughs) i have a hard time with the smiths but i the conversation we were having earlier about um all the famous literary figures yes would be good in bed i want to pick that up because it's actually a very nice transition into talking about your nascent career as a writer (laughs) so so you want to say i'm good in bed or what is the (laughs) i want to say that um i dispute the idea that all of these misogynist writers who you love would be good in bed but hemingway might be hemingway I want, to, I want you to explain that whole theory. Yeah. Well, um, the premise is whenever Caitlin asks me, well, actually, we talked about eras, right? Which era we would imagine ourselves to be in. And I really never thought about it. I just said I would, there are just a few writers that, would, that I would like to go back to 
hook up with, right? So Hemingway was one of them and David Foster Wait Wallace. Wait a second. I just have to stop you here. Uh-huh. She asked you what era you want to be in, not what era of writer you want to sleep with. Or was that the original question? <laughs> or did you just – you? she talked about writers and you took it into the bedroom of being with a writer. Okay, carry yeah. on, carry on. <laughs> That's exactly my point. And um, I would still put my money on David Foster Wallace. I think he would be better than Hemingway. There's zero chance that's true. I, you know, the tortured soul kind of thing has something going for them sometimes in like very light moments. I, I have. I hear a lot of caveats. I just think hygienically and in terms of generosity, I don't see him being able to uh, be very satisfied. To live up to your standards. There you go. None of you know my standards. They are very low. <laughs> this is very true. This is very true. Um, but seriously, let's talk about writers and writing. Okay. I wrote you an email a couple of years ago asking you if you wanted to write for Racket, and you wrote back saying you were intrigued. Yes. Let's start there. Well, um, when you wrote me that email, I, um, I was intrigued for a moment, and then I just totally forgot about it for <laughs> a year or so, right? Was it a year? I think it was a year. And then I um, ran across that book, The Art of Rivalry, by an art critic, Sebastian Smee. And he had these four artist pairs, and and he described their rivalries and how they basically, um, well, profited from each other and how they would have never been or never would have become the artists they were without the other one. And that the breakthroughs in art sort of happened through these rivalries and that really inspired me and sort of just made me think about rivalries in tennis and in sports and so I wrote the first piece or I contacted you first with that idea to write a piece about comparing um, those artists rivalries with Raja and Rafa right yeah Mm -hmm. do I remember correctly yeah you had actually a couple of ideas it seemed like you had been getting into this mode which is what I think is so interesting because you told me you had kept a journal, you'd been writing. That's the stuff that I sort of want to get at. Well, that's a, that's an interesting thing because I have always been writing. I never had a time where I wasn't writing. I just never was writing to be published, right? So it was always more for myself. It made my thoughts clearer. And it was also just an exercise for my brain. I did a lot of fiction writing when I was younger just to sort of explore out of my comfort zone and explore my creativity because I always felt a little contained in the tennis world. So I wanted to do something that was just um, comfort-wise easy to access, right, which is your mind when you're um, on tour a lot and when you're alone in hotel rooms a lot. So that was always the easiest way, right? You always find a pen, you always find a piece of paper. And then later, obviously, obviously with computers and iPads, it was even easier to just sort of get into writing so that was something I was always doing just to keep my mind entertained and and just get out of my comfort zone every now and then so I just never thought about writing to be published and when you when I got your email that was the first time when I was like I could actually write something so people will read it (laughs) because I have never never showed any any of my writings either to anybody I just I'm trying to recall no I have never showed anybody anything so that was like a wake-up call for me to be like okay let's polish everything you scribble down let's polish it and make it readable not only don't just write it down but also make it readable for people to understand what's going on in the chaotic mind of Andrea Petkovic (laughs) (laughs) well it was more than readable I think it was really excellent and people really responded to it that way I thought the piece was great first of all secondly I, I loved the bit at the end, actually, because I think one of the things that you when I, I urge everyone to read it because it shows it more it bottled down really to uh, a little bit of jealousy, you know, and what people want from one another, really, mm. and not sort of seeing what they're already really great at and, and embracing that about themselves. And I love the bit at the end where you where Angie turned to you and said, I'll never be like you mm. as far as um, the press conference uh, is concerned. I, I don't want to tell anybody too much because I'd love them to read it in racket. Right. I love that piece because, you know, you're always sort of wanting something that somebody else has, but you don't embrace what you're really good at. And one of the things that obviously you're really good at is entertaining people, including 
me and <laughs> on the regular basis. So, yeah, and articulating your thoughts and expressing yourself. And she was looking at you sort of longingly and, and being in, and vice versa. in admiration. You were, you were constantly wanting to be uh, having her results, et cetera, et cetera. But yes. back to that mind piece, because you talked about the chaotic brain and your sort of chaotic mind. We know it well. Um, <laughs> explain why that that's in, in some respects uh, not great on the tennis court for you. Well, the thing is, I'm I'm equally emotional and rational a person, which may might sound um, very paradoxic, and it turns into this whirlwind of emotion slash thoughts in my head that just sort of carry me away. Um, and I've learned to deal with it better with with age, with experience. But um, but I think everybody knows that feeling that when you're at a weak point of your life or when you just not at, at at your best those old sort of devils come back to haunt you this, those old devils and demons that um, you thought you got rid of they just come back to haunt you and I feel like when I have weak moments it's still I still get back into that mind frame even though I thought I've I've had it um, I've had it all put away for a long time but the, the interesting thing is about the jealousy part that you mentioned Renee what I always thought was very interesting about jealousy I've never that term for me was never a negative thing I think for me the negative thing is envy when you wish something when somebody else has something and you wish they didn't have it I think that's a negative emotion to have but too long for something that somebody else has might just give you a push to do something better or to change something about you so I never really concocted jealousy with a negative emotion for me it was always something oh look at that girl she's awesome I wish I could be that awesome right I think envy is a really negative emotion where you wish somebody who has something didn't have it so you feel better about yourself and that was always something that I was very good at not having thankfully in my life I think because of um, the education I had from my parents and I have a sister so we always learn to share very early on, but I think that's very that was very uh, important for me in this piece to sort of make clear that people get carried away by jealousy and instead of taking it in, and using it for a positive, just making it into this or turning it into a negative energy and emotion that it really shouldn't be, in my opinion. Yeah, well, <clears throat> that's why you're a rarity, because you do do that on a daily basis. I've never met anybody who compliments anyone more than yeah, Petco. I mean, it's kind of like overwhelming. And, I, and I, I sit back sometimes and I'm always like, every time I see her, she's like, you look amazing. And I'm like, I can't even say that to her. And it's pretty much because Petco always looks amazing. But it's like, it just comes out of her so naturally. I'm like, you're just this abundance of like happiness, even when you lose. And I know how much you hate losing. And, and sometimes you'll go into your room for about two days and not come out. But yet you would not know that because every time you shake a hand, it is always with love for your opponent. And that is, it's such a rare quality on tour. So you're a rarity. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think oh, you have well, like, thank you very much. an empathy that comes across where you're mm. actually genuinely interested in the people that you're meeting. I mean, I, I certainly felt it the first time that I met you, which is like, oh, you know, who are we? We're just some silly magazine people from New York. And, you know having you come to one of our events in California and sort of like interact with the people who subscribe to our magazine just as a person was sort of notable because I think a lot of people have guards up. Um, right. And I want to sort of talk about that in terms of, you know, you have empathy, but also the admiration. So instead of jealousy, even you could use the term admiration for Angelique Kerber, yes. which we were you just talking about. You have an introspect about. that is rare. Yeah. And I think, you know, that sort of leads us into the, the next piece that you wrote for Racket, which was in the, the current issue that's out now, which is about musicians. Obviously, you have a lot of admiration for your fellow players. You have admiration for writers, as we know, <laughs> also musicians. That's certainly something that you are drawn to. What sort of gave you the idea about going on tour? Because you pitched me. I wasn't going to catapult you into a tour experience, but you wanted to <laughs> yeah. do it. Well, well, the thing is, I think Caitlin and I have this weird relationship of me texting you when I'm drunk at three in the morning with some weird <laughs> idea. So I'm like, you know what? I think I should go to Siberia because the Pussy Ride members are hiding there and I think I should spend some time with them. And then Caitlin is like, oh my God. And it's like 3 p.m. in New York no, in I'm the like, afternoon. I'm like, that's a great idea. <laughs> and she's with her kid. And then she's like... 
that could actually work. And she it was could. Kind she, of a... You could have been with me at three a.m. in the morning. That is possible. That's totally possible. <laughs> that, that is very possible. Yeah. So, um, so that was one of these ideas. I was again reading a book. I was reading the biography, the autobiography by Carrie Brownstein, the um, singer of Slater Kinney, and now probably better known for her Portlandia acting and writing. She talks about this really interesting lifestyle about being on tour where you have this very mundane moments and this routine days where you just sit on the bus all day and you load and unload gear and you're just practicing and sound checking and everything is super boring. It's always the same people around you. And then all of a sudden you have this one to two hour of high performance pressure and intensity moment where all the emotions and all the adrenaline and hormones just hit you right in the face and there are people out there looking at you expecting something out of you and I felt a strong kinship to that because I feel like that's what tennis and um, especially the tennis tour is um, is about very much because we have all these routines every day and mundane moments every day and spending a lot of time in hotel rooms every day and then all of a sudden you have this match and emotions just hit you and nerves hit you and hormones hit you and you have to sort of function and I wanted to get into that and explore that similarity and obviously the differences also and how musicians handle it and um, how musicians um, just deal with with that because I know how tennis players deal with that but I wanted to to have another perspective on the same thing that is yet different in its essence somehow. And I, I guess I don't want to, again, get into like the crux of the story or the ending, but I think for me, the, the, the takeaway obviously was the friendships that are formed on tour. Even when you're sort of going through the ups and the downs and the, the good performances, the bad performances, but in the end, it's kind of like we're all a little bit of a traveling circus and that's kind of how mm. the tour is a little bit as well. And you kind of find your little niche group to hang out with yeah. on tour. Oh, yeah, that's that's very true. And especially a lot of people ask me, a lot of journalists um, ask me in interviews like, Andrea, do you have friends? Do you have real friends on tour? And I say, yeah, of course we have real friends. And then they go like, but you have nothing in common. What do you even talk about? (laughs) (laughs) And then I and then I always go like, well, these friendships are actually somehow stronger or more like different than friendships you actually pick by interest and by maybe um, common interests because those friendships are like people that you know from school right that you grew up with and maybe you have totally different lives now but it's like family when you see them right and that's what you have with tennis players because you go through the same emotions you go through the same troubles through the same problems and um, and that forms a bond if you want it or not and you might have totally different um, you might have totally different interests but there is something that connects you on a deeper level and um, and that's a bond that can't be denied. And so I'm I'm always there. And I always say, yeah, I definitely have real friends on tour, even if we talk about, I don't know, the the, the notebook for an hour or so. <laughs> I have I, not seen the notebook. I just guess it's the Ryan Gosling. Um, yeah, movie, yeah, yeah, right? yeah, 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 right, right, sure. right, okay. right, Pekka. I think one of the greatest moments uh, on tour that we we get is those moments in rain delays at Wimbledon. Um, can you can you give us a little insight because I know I've been there with you in the locker yeah. room at Wimbledon when it rains because it's the moment where sort of everyone's at the highest of highest of highest performance areas right you're at Wimbledon you're at a Grand Slam and uh, it rains everybody you know is all in the locker room everyone's on a match going to a match or is sitting there waiting for a match like and it could be five to ten hours before you get on court and i can't imagine it's very big or people sort it's, of on top of each other yeah kind of? i mean at that stage because everybody's in the locker room at the right. same time right so because everyone comes in and and you get that moment where it's a heavy del- deluge and 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 the, the loudspeaker comes on and says ladies and gentlemen ladies and gentlemen the rain forecast is crap and we uh, they don't say that at Wimbledon but you know you can imagine it's sort of like it's, it seems that we're going to have hours of rain so everybody in the locker room all the players have this moment where they have this physical and emotional like downturn where they're not switched on so now the natural sort of personalities come out in everybody because now it's entertaining mm. time right <laughs> so Andrea is quite a good in those moments so uh, Petco, tell us a little bit about those moments and those, because I've been there with you. And, and explain that, because people have no idea what goes on in the locker room. Everyone thinks everyone's just a bitch, and no one talks to one another. Yeah. But explain those moments. 
obviously when people are focused and concentrated on their match they might be more introverted and just more for themselves but as you said when the tension sort of goes away for a brief second um the true colors show and then <laughs> actress andrea comes upon <laughs> comes upon us all and um i like to tell stories i'm a storyteller i guess and so i i start to tell stories about um well, we all have this, those stories about tennis <laughs> lives and matches and whatnot. And then everybody starts to tell their stories and it's always a lot of fun. But sometimes when it gets too long, I think, Renee, you've seen me in Wimbledon, I think it was two years ago when it didn't stop raining and you came in from, from your broadcasting and I was there and I was like, I'm just thinking if I should hang myself in the bathroom or, or jump from court 18 on my head. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's I actually just wanted the, to kill myself. Yeah, those were the actual, exact words. Well, it was because you were waiting to play mixed doubles, or was it doubles at that stage? Yeah, it was so bad. And we got cancelled literally every day for five days in a row. And I was just sitting, and we would be scheduled the first match on at 11.30. So I was on site at 10. And then we got cancelled at like 6 p.m. And I have and two... For people who don't know it, the locker room in Wimbledon is in the basement, so you have no daylight. <laughs> yeah, you see, so you don't. Like, <laughs> so I was just sitting in the basement for like five days, eight hours a oh day. And but it also explained the uh, nature of maybe not wanting to play tennis sometimes when you're done with it emotionally and mentally at the end of the year. I don't want to say it's like every other job because there are a lot of emotions involved when you play tennis. And I think uh, some people underestimate what emotions do to people. And when you have these whole this whole year where you constantly go through highs and lows and even if it's a great year uh, sometimes a great year can take away more energy from you than a than a bad year because you're on a constant high and no no brain can really take being on a constant high it's like being on drugs for um except serena she can handle it for yeah she can have but she was born she's different you know she was born to do that sort of and i think the highs don't necessarily feel as high for her as maybe for us for us mortals. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of mortals, I mean, you're top, former yeah. top 10, right? Semi-finals of the French Open. And you rock up. Where are you this week? Explain to people what happens when sometimes you have to claw your way back into that top 30 stratosphere and what you have to do on weeks like this. And explain who you were supposed to play yesterday, who also is going through the same thing that you are in some respects. I mean, yeah. how difficult and how interesting what people don't know about what happens on the tour. Where are you? Well... Well, I'm in um, in the south of France. Uh, well, that south, sucks. South of France. Yeah, can we hear well, your French accent, actually? The, re- the response? Uh, oui, bien sûr. Mais oh là là, mais ça c'est bon ça. And this is what all French people <laughs> do, I feel like. That's what you do when yeah. you're drunk. That sounds a lot like my drunk French accent, actually. Go on. <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. Yeah. So um, I'm in the south of France in a little village called Cagnes-sur-Mer, which is actually beautiful. Um, I'm playing 100,000, so I opted to play a smaller tournament this week to have a few matches and get back on track and get my confidence back on track. And then first round, I draw Ginny Bouchard. 
um, who also had a wild card. Yeah, I got a wild card and she got a wild card and we drew each other, which is funny because we both opted to play this tournament for, to have matches and then we were supposed to play each other. Jeannie got injured, so she had to pull out. But, um, you know, sometimes it's just not in your hands. Explain the difference, though, of this tournament. Well, well the difference is basically we practice four people on the court we get half an hour of practice sessions a day um we get only three balls and um no new balls there what? is no water uh anywhere yeah there is no water you have to either buy your own know, so you have to either buy your own or you have to beg at the tournament office to give you i speak french so i'm and i'm i can be charming if i want to i can only be charming in french unfortunately so it has never worked for me in any other language and on any other country but um so that's what you know it's just uh it's just different you the courts are obviously they only have three courts so when um when qualies and matches start there is no no practice at all and it's just very different obviously but I actually enjoy it. Um, it's back to the roots. It reminds me of where, where I started and where I came from. And it really captures the essence of tennis. Everybody is fighting for their life and literally fighting for their life because um, you don't get paid as well, obviously, as on the WTA tournaments. And if you don't do well, you cannot um, pay your coach, you cannot pay your expenses, and you lose money day by day. So um, it's it's really – well, it's true, and it's really – different type of tennis when you when you uh, when you see it and it has been very interesting for me for me to watch and actually it's been it's been good for me to be part of this for is this it actually week. more yeah. intense on the court are the points more are people is it very cognizant that people are scrapping harder than maybe a first round at a grand slam where Madrid. it's a 128 or something like that like can you is it palpable well the thing is it's at the same time more and less professional if that makes sense so we, for, what i mean by less professional just like the no water um three balls do you have ball kids only on center court wow okay so there's oh. another one yeah so the uh, less professional i mean exactly those things like having a massage after the matches stretching training working out like off the court a lot of players i see here don't don't work as much out off the court as the w as like the higher ranked players right for example just one example yesterday when Jeannie pulled out the lucky losers that could have been could have gotten her spot forgot to sign oh in. my god <laughs> oh no so there was no lucky loser to get in and that's why i got a well they saw they were going to play these... you that's why so they said what's the point i don't know if that's true but you know but then on the other hand when you watch the matches on court the girls are fighting their hearts out they're just crying they are um, but throwing themselves into the clay, it's really amazing to watch the intensity. It's so much different because, you know, the thing on the WTA tour is you get paid good money even if you lose. And if it's not your day, you're kind of like, ah, oh, fuck, this is not my day. I'm going to try next week and I'm, I might do better. It's not that life depending, right? But here it is. So everybody is working so hard and fighting so hard and the intensity is really pal palpable. It's it's very different. I think it's very different. I mean, same thing when you go around Grand Slams qualies, if you have ever watched this, it's very different energy and very different atmosphere than once you get to the main draws, I think. It's kind of perfect for you, actually, because that's kind of you, who you are. I think switch the brain off and become doggedly determined, clay all over you, you know, the whole thing. So this could be, I, I feel it, this is your tournament. From your from your mouth to God's ear, yeah, Renee. I believe in you. I, I believe in you all the way over here. Okay, so now we're going to sort of do, we're going to try out a segment that we're going to call, I don't know what we're going to call it, Stubbs? No, I'm not going to even say that out loud. Um, we're going to sort of ask the same people the same couple of questions with the idea that we're going to try to get to some philosophical ponderings. Okay. And one of the best ones, and I'm going to ask it because it's Renee's question, the way she would phrase it is there's a good lane and a bad lane on a tennis court. Um, I think we all know mm -hmm. what happens when you're in the good lane. But what do you right. in particular do when you're in the bad lane? What's your response? What's, What's your, your default mechanism? Default well, mechanism. That's not good. When things are going badly? Yeah, like basically when you're on the court and you know things are getting tough. What's your, mm -hmm. what's your bad trait that you have to stay away from? Well, except for crying and praying to God to help me out of the situation. <laughs> uh, I think the worst part that I do or that works least for me is I get really into my head because I feel like I can control things with my thoughts. So I really think about what I like literally think about what I would have to do 
which is the worst thing you can do in tennis because you have to sort of go with the flow and feel it and just get free of thought and just be in the moment. And I think that's something that I do. I, I really think about what I could do better. And that's, that's not good in my experience. I don't know. What's your experience, Renee? Well, mine was to get a little bit crazy and sort of blame, uh, you know, the, the umpire or the ball. You know, somebody in the crowd made a noise or, you know, I'd have an excuse or there would be a reason for me to have lost, you know. And so rather than sort of just let it go and just move right. on to the next point, I was, it was similar to you, but mine came out, my reactions were outwardly, you know, obvious to everybody. Right. Yours is not obvious to people because you're introspective. You're going inside your brain and I was going out to, outside of my brain. So, right, right, right. So how do you change that? Like what's the optimum place for you on a tennis court? Well, the optimum place, and this is really difficult because especially for somebody that is as intense as I am on the court, I try to um, find a good balance between being powered up and intense but still sort of calm so kind of like an intense relaxation, if that makes sense, because if I, get, if I get too intense, my muscles tighten up and I get really short in my swings and my strokes and my ball tends to, to land flat and short in, into the court. And when I'm too relaxed, I sort of have no focus and no intensity and I play. And the way I play is I have to grind somebody out point by point. So if I keep my level up for every point, eventually the others will will break down that was my strategy how i win matches and if i'm too relaxed gift one point there i play one mistake there then i play a fine point but that's not who i am so this is the most difficult part for me to find the exact middle ground of intensity and relaxation yeah see i think yeah. i think i find you so interesting because you have such a creative mind so yet you're a very pragmatic person so it, the the worst place for you to be is overthinking on the court. Yes. But yet, then the creativity sort of bored human being. Well, no, because if you're a smart person, you want variety. Right. Yeah. So you like <laughs> all of a sudden your brain starts clicking over because you're actually thinking about other things, and not really what you should be thinking about on the court, which is actually to stay loose. So it's like yeah. you have this like dichotomy on the court with your own brain, whereas one is overthinking and then the other one is over creative. Whereas you almost need to, I always say to you, take your head off your shoulders and just throw it away for about a couple hours <laughs> and just play with your physicality, right? So, Does that ever right. work? Does, do people listen when you give them that sort of advice? Well, most do, but, you know. Uh, Pet, I never do. Petco is a little bit of a the tough one to get. Okay, we're going to let you off the hook. Related question. Do you think people feel, sort of philosophically show you who they are when they play? Oh, yes. Like their personality, their core being. For sure. What can you tell by somebody's playing style? And, and give us an example. Oh, you can tell so much. Well, uh, my favorite thing is when you can tell most, by now it's a little different. On the professional tour, everybody has a poker face on. But you can tell the most about a person that you just met if they have never played tennis and you take them to a tennis court. You can tell so much. You can tell how determined they are, how proud they are, because um, pride shows a lot when you, and tennis is a difficult sport. Rarely every, ever somebody just picks it up and plays well, right? So it's a very difficult sport for, for beginners. And you can tell so much. It's like the most fun I have when I meet a person to bring them on the tennis court for the first time. Have you played tennis with Caitlin? Uh-oh. Where's this going? I have not. No, I saw her play with Dave. But what, what type of person is she? On the Ooh. tennis court? <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to sit. A little, a little, a little hectic. Okay. Um, <laughs> a little a, a, a very aggressive, uh, wanting to come into okay. the net, which is, you know, great yeah. as far as I'm concerned because that was my, my gig. Um, but listens very well. Takes information in very well. Oh, well, she's a, willing she's, to listen. That sounds... But that sounds like a real New Yorker. She's a neurotic freak that wants to learn and evolve. <laughs> so that's like basically New Yorker on a tennis court. Yeah, that wants, you just wants described. to get better. Yeah, I think that's such a great. Uh, I I agree with you one hundred percent. You take <laughs> if you're a professional like you are and like I was, and you take somebody who has never been a professional, and you take them onto the tennis court in half an hour, I can tell you exactly what their traits are. Yeah. And it's, you know what's what's Should so we do that for dating? Should we do that for dating? Like take the yeah, prospective partners out? No one's out? allowed to date. I'm going to say this is the only married person in this conversation. Neither of you are allowed to date anyone without first striking a few tennis balls across the net. 
that is going to be your prerequisite. Can you handle that, both of you ladies? Well, I was just going to say the most interesting part for me is when you take a man to the tennis court for the first time and they play and you really see uh, even like the guys that I go for that are necess not necessarily like the typical Sporty. manly, manly well, not the like typical macho manly guys, but the like the masculinity comes out in them. They get they are super proud and they get pissed off if they can't do it, you know. And then the man comes out and I always laugh at them. I'm like, dude, <laughs> you look like a 12 year old girl. Why are you behaving like a man right now? <laughs> and then you keep dating them I'm, after that, or is that like the oh, beginning of course. and the end? Of course, of course. <laughs> four, four to six weeks. Four to six weeks. Well, your German article uh, that you released uh, apparently says that you're not dating at all. So we feel sorry for you. Could you want to? Do you want oh to just you know t tap out the end of this uh, little conversation by telling everybody that you have no problem meeting yeah, people? Yeah. Well, after well, I'm. Um... Wait, back up a second. You are now a pretty well-known columnist in Germany. Yes, you're writing for I, one I of the am. biggest newspapers. How? What is the gig? What are you doing? Well, um, this newspaper approached uh, approached me and asked me if I wanted to write a, a column. Or actually, they asked me if I wanted to talk to one of their reporters every week, and he would write something down for me. And I was like, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Do you know who I <laughs> no, am? No, but yeah, I was I'm like, published. Who who are you talking to right now? Wait. And so I told <laughs> them, uh, let me write this thing. And I said, so I sent them a few like uh, textprobe. We call it in Germany, where it's like just a few test drives and they looked at it and they were like, okay, we're going to take this. And so they decided that they wanted me to talk about um, myself and pop culture. So, which is a really weird sort of <laughs> mixture. For but, you. Uh, it's difficult to describe because the column is about so much. It's mostly about traveling hotels and bars and how pop, pop culture saves your life when you're alone all the time. Hmm. Right. It's a good premise. So, yeah, and so it, it's supposed to be every column, the anchor of the column is a film that I talk about in the beginning, and then I sort of make a connection to my own life. And the introduction to the column, I was supposed to write an introduction to the column, and it was supposed to be like, why films, right? So I was supposed to explain, because people know me as a tennis player, why would I write about films all of a sudden? I'm not a film expert, right? So the road I went down was like, well, it's not always easy as a tennis player and we need, and every person needs an escape strategy and my escape strategy is films. So the, the original sentence that I wrote was following. So it's not always easy for tennis players with escape strategies because alcohol is not a, um, is not an option because recovery gets slowed down. For some. <laughs> then, um, Drugs is not an option because we are under strict doping controls and sex. Well, sex technically is an option, but it's actually not that easy to get to as people might think on the road. I think that was the original um, sentence. So this huge uh -oh. gossip magazine took out that sentence and they made it into and the headline was Andrea Petkovic has no sex and literally <laughs> In the first three hours after the headline appeared, my Instagram exploded into freaking maniacs writing me direct messages like, I, am, I have no sex either. Maybe we should get together. <laughs> and you know what the worst part about this is? In my naive idealism, I thought, well, look at this. People really like my column. <laughs> until, <laughs> until my press guy sent me a screenshot of the headline of this huge newspaper that uh, that had featured the, the the quote, and then I was like, "Well, off you go, idealism." It was not my column; it was just one sentence that I accidentally put in there, <laughs> and that's how my life got destroyed and went down the drain in in the course of two hours. In the course of two hours, or maybe yeah. let's say a day, you got just to take a ballpark figure of how many guys fifty tried five hundred. 50? No, 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 no. You don't understand. No, no. Go, no tell no, us. No, no. Tell us. Okay. So I had, I, um, I turned off my phone because it got so bad for two hours. And when I turned it back on, I had 99 plus direct messages. So they couldn't even count it anymore. Uh -huh. So I just blocked all. And then I called Renee to rant <laughs> about this fucking newspaper and how they 
destroyed my social media for the next five days. And we talked for 13 minutes. I have it on record. We talked for 13 minutes. And in those 13 minutes, I had 86 new messages on my Instagram. Wow. So basically, you are now officially, like, as far as Match.com or Bumble or Tinder or, or Raya or whatever, bottom line that I don't is, even know about. you don't need it. You just need to write an article in Germany and you apparently could get laid every day for the rest of your life by these guys. Oh, every day. Every day if I wanted to. I just have to... <laughs> I just have to... Um, Respond. I just have to go on my yeah. I just have to go on my direct messages and pick one. Just like throw an arrow <laughs> and pick the first one that that comes out and be like, hey, do you want to get together? Because we both have no sex. And then they, he would they would be like, oh, okay. For for the record, for the record, you know, because I know you've wanted to square this away. But for the record, I, I have you had enough sex to, that we don't need to worry about you. I just want to say I'm fine. Okay. I just want to say That's I'm it. not lacking in any um, aspect of my life. But I also want to say the funniest thing is when I told the sentence, the original sentence to Renee, her first reaction was like, that's not even true. You do two out of three things every time you look. I'm like, Renee, it's fiction, okay? You don't do the drugs part. I know that for a fact. Artistic Because you can't. But as far as the alcohol and the the uh, extracurricular extra activities You're with fine. the You're opposite fine. sex, I can attest for fact <laughs> that you are completely fine. Renee, she's never going to come on our podcast again. Yes, she will. She will. You know what the worst part is? People were like pitying me, you know? They were like, oh, poor you. You just You're can't sexless. get laid, can you? <laughs> right? And I was like, okay, okay, I'm doing fine. <laughs> Don't worry about me. But no, um, this feels strongly like a therapy session. And um, I hope you don't charge me for this. Mm -mm. No, 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 not no. This time. Not, time not considering you have pretty much given me therapy for about five months this thus, thus far. But we won't get into that right now. Well, listen, Andrea, good luck this week in the south of France. I can't wait to speak some French with you, drunken or not. Uh, hopefully Thank in Paris. You. Leave me out of the French Merci. conversation. You can speak German. Um, yeah. And please come back on our show because we didn't even get to what you've promised both of us, which is that you're going to be our fashion correspondent. Yeah. Can I please be a fashion expert? Give us like your best Met Gala outfits. I have a good one, but go ahead. But I'm very curious to hear your thoughts. Well, I really like Blake Lively, I have to say. She always nails it, doesn't she? And I <laughs> Can I just say, <laughs> you have gone immediately into fashion, um, into fashion commentary. Into fashion like, well, let me, let me actually just start. Yeah. Well, on the men's side, Chad, Chadwick Boseman, what's his name? I cannot pronounce Chadwick it. Chadwick Boseman, he looked amazing. Mm -hmm. He looked amazing. I really appreciated his look. And um, also, I liked how Rihanna really went full on with the Catholic Heavenly Bodies team. And I also have to say that I found the theme to be quite controver con controverse, controverse? controversial. Controversial, that is the, the word. Catholic, I mean, really, nowadays. Mine was uh, Lena Waithe, of course, who wore a big uh, rainbow flag to, speaking of not being oh, Catholic. Oh, man, you got to gay it up, huh? Yeah, she gayed it up. Like, uh, have you seen her picture? She gayed it up. She gayed it up. It was like a big, big, big rainbow uh, blanket over her. I, I thought it was great. What We haven't talked about my favorite, because I'm a child of 1980 and my so-called life, Jared Leto. Oh, really? Oh, my God, he looked like Jesus Christ. I mean, he definitely has a Jesus Christ Well, he kind of does look like Jesus Christ. But he looked Christ. amazing. I mean, he's wearing he's a gold crown. He sort of looked like very regal. I mean, he went full on, full on Jesus Christ. He was like, sorry, I didn't bring my mother, Maria Magdalena, to this thing. <laughs> I did love Tom Brady and Giselle Bundchen, of course. Like, I mean, those two, uh, I don't know. No, they, I they don't should, respect them. They just, they just want to put themselves on top of that trophy, don't they? They're so gross. Yeah. They're the like grossest. His slick back hair. Mm -mm. I don't want people that perfect in my life. You're talking to two of them. Caitlin and I took such offense to that comment. <laughs> okay, and then lastly, this is sort of unrelated, but it is on the fashion tip. Did you see the um, the female members of the con jury and how they immaculately they were dressed? It's Lea Seydoux, Kate Blanchett. Okay. Oh, I saw that. Kirsten of Stewart. Kirsten Stewart. A Ghanaian, I believe, singer whose name I don't know. Yes. And then some men. And like the, the fact that the men were such an afterthought and not even in the pictures kind of makes it. Because those women looked amazing. Well, Kate Blanchett. They looked alone. amazing. Well, they are just 20 minutes from me. They are 20 minutes away from me in Cannes. In Cannes. Ils sont à Cannes. 
right? Very, très bien. Apparently. Bien sûr. Yeah. Well, they look amazing. But I, I know I, I wanted to be like a um, weekly feature on the podcast as a fashion expert. Fine. But I just want the people to know that Caitlin didn't want me to be <laughs> that person. And so I, that's all I'm going to say about this. And my emotions, my feelings were maybe... I'm maybe editing all hurt. of this out because it's not true. I accidentally sent you a text to my best friend... You interpreted that as I don't want you to talk about fashion when the reality is I want nothing more than for you to talk about fashion every week. Now we're going to talk fashion because you have to say it in that German way that you do. Fashion, fashion. We haven't told this story, but we have to get this in there some way. But Andrea, when you are stopped at, uh, you know, the border control of any country in the world and someone says to you, what do you do for a living? <laughs> what do you answer them? You know, because uh, now I, my question, when I played, I would say, I'm a professional tennis player. I'm here to play an event, uh, blah, blah, blah. Now it's, I'm a TV a commentator, an analyst. I work for ESPN, blah, blah, blah. Caitlin would say, you know, I'm a publisher. I'm a writer. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm sure. smart. I'm like, you know, I've got great feet. I've got great feet. What do you say? When someone asks you, why are you in New York? Well, the guy that asked me this year, he asked me, like, what's the purpose of your visit? And I said, I play tennis. And then he laughed at me. And I said, that's a real job, sir. And then he said, whatever you say, ma'am. And I just went on my business. <laughs> <laughs> so Petko doesn't say, I'm a professional tennis player, which is what you should say. She says, I play tennis. Well, I do. I do Beautiful. play tennis. And I have glorious eyebrows. We know. Um, Andrea, thank you for joining us on thank our inaugural guys. episode. Hey, and thank you in advance for being our weekly fashion correspondent. Fashion yes. correspondent. And uh, I would like to say to you, vielen Dank, meine friend, meine Freud. Freud? No, okay. friend. Freund? Uh, let's get her what drunk is it? and see if she can pull this off. Fro Freund. Ich liebe dich. Danke. And that's it for this episode of the Racket Magazine podcast. Thanks for listening. Our host is Renee Stubbs. Our co-host and producer is me, Caitlin Thompson. Music by internationally renowned DJ Stretch Armstrong. Thanks to Tim Ruggieri, Taylor Dalton, and the team at Acast. Find us at racketmag.com slash podcast and subscribe to us at any of your favorite podcatchers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.